Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, January 9th. Of course, it's actually Wednesday, January 13th by the time all of you listeners are hearing this show in our efforts at Cracked Rackets to help catch all of you listeners up on all of the fantastic action that has occurred through the first week of the 2021 season. Of course, also in our efforts to make up for our lack of podcasts last week, we're breaking down each day's action from the 2021 season yesterday. We covered both Thursday and Friday's matches. Today, we're going to be releasing podcasts on Saturday and Sunday's play. And then tomorrow, we're going to wrap up the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals in one mega mini break podcast. I may just drag Jamie McDonald onto that show to share some thoughts as well, because I think you listeners know my thoughts on a lot of these players through this point. But again, on today's show, we're going to do a changeover chat. We are going to break down, I should say, I am going to break down my favorite performances, my most notable players through Saturday's action on the professional tour. Of course, the events I am focusing on, the WTA event in Abu Dhabi, the ATP event in Delray Beach, and Antalya. No live stream for Antalya, but I still have some thoughts. I may have dabbled in Googling the match and finding a link here or there, so I was able to catch a little bit of the action, but that's going to be the focus today. All of the off-court storylines, you know, Christian Harrison's refusal to wear a mask, the ever-changing guidelines of the Australian Open. We will focus on them another time. I want to stick to the tennis right now because, again, I'm just so excited to have actual tennis being played on court. I assume many of you listeners feel the same way, so that's what we will focus on today. Hey, great shot on the rhyme. Speaking of great shots, if you want to hear a preview of today's action, today being Wednesday, January 13th, go check out our Great Shot podcast by GSP's Aces of the Day. So far, so good through 2021. I think we're 10 and 8 thus far, up like $14, 14 units, whatever you want to say, through the start of the season. That's where we want to be through an opening week of play. And again, uh, more on featuring the immediate matches happening right now in the tennis world on that podcast. So go check that out. Of course, the reason we are able to do this podcast day in, day out, because of the incredible support we get from you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. You know the deal by now. So I will simply say this. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, you'll let them know we sent you there, and I promise you will not regret it. MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. You all know the deal by now. We'll start in Abu Dhabi, where the WTA Tour is off to a fantastic start to its season. The draw has lived up to the hype, folks. When you put this many top 50 players in one location, you are bound to produce some explosive results on the court, and that's what we've seen thus far. 
I want to start today with a player we have talked about quite a bit here in the early onsets of the season, and I'll go through her quickly, but I also want to talk about her opponent in her round of six, uh, 32 victory, excuse me, back on Saturday. That's Maria Sakari, who just... Uh, with her athleticism, folks, there are times when she just looks like she's playing a different sport than some of these players. And I mean, she faced on 16-year-old Coco Goff, right? And that's kind of an ideal matchup for her because she's able to impose her physicality. And Goff doesn't have the huge explosive weapons off, of, you know, in terms of her ground strokes. She's very much a counterpuncher, very much someone who uses her own athleticism, her own movement to leverage positions around the court to open up space for herself. And that led to some really fun tennis early on in this match. Goff actually raced out to an early lead over Sakari. Sakari really struggled on serve in the first set of this match. You look at her serve percentage was only at 55% of her first serves going in, only won 52% of those points, 47% of her second serve points was broken three times on six chances for Goff. But I mean, Sakari, it's just the variety of weapons she has at her disposal. I'm not going to run through the last 52-week stats for Sakari because you've heard them a bunch of times already this week, but it's there's a comfort with her, and I actually asked her this in the press room, and I hope some of you uh, fans have listened to that on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed, uh, because just watching her play thus far in early 2021, you can see she's making a more concerned effort to take balls early in the court, to use her athleticism, her strength to unload on a plus one forehand when that ball sits up in her strike zone. She really likes to be aggressive with that inside-out forehand, follow that ball to the net. She's got sneaky good touch when she's up there and then really quick feet so she covers the net really well put a lot of pressure on Goff in this match I mean in the first set Coco Goff only made 56% of her first serves but that didn't really do her much good considering she was 18 uh, 8 of 22 excuse me 36% on those points 9 of 17 on the second serve was broken on 4 of 8 chances for Sakari you know it was a back and forth first set it was a battle of breaks more than holds and I just think for Maria Sakari it's her comfort now again beat it because she's so quick so strong she beats you to the spot and then she takes advantage of the fat by unloading a ball down the line she'll take advantage of the space she's now creating by being more aggressive as I mentioned by moving forward her first serve became more effective as this match went along now she only made 46% of them in the second set but she was 11 of 13 on first serve points 20 of 28 overall on serve in the second set she continued to stay aggressive with her own return and again she she uses her first step quickness to get a really good read on the ball. Pretty uh, condensed back swings. You know, she holds Goff to 4 of 12 on second serve points once again uh, in that second set. And just at times, it, as athletic as Goff was, the strength of Sakari wore through. And she just played some really good tennis. She just looks so confident right now. And it was the fact that she got off to a shaky start. And that's a theme we saw from her later on in the week as well. And I'll talk about it more later in her match against Sonia Kennan and her, in her match in the final in particular against Sabalenka. She got off, uh, semifinal, excuse me. She got off to such a slow start. But, you know, she just has a lot of different tools at her disposal. That's what I keep noticing. The backhand slice as well. It doesn't get great depth, but it puts her opponents in uncomfortable positions. And then again, she can use her foot speed to beat her opponents to the spot. And Coco Goff would throw a forehand slice or a backhand slice. And that's when Sakari was being more aggressive, stepping into the court, having chances to attack. But for Coco Goff, 
you know, again, there, I, I keep using this term, a lot of low-hanging fruit. 56.1% on the first serve for the match, six double faults. That's just not good enough if you're Coco Goff. 13 of 29 on second serve points, but more importantly, 19 of 37 on first serve points. Coco Goff, someone who projects moving forward to have a really nice first serve. Uh, that that that's a number that will obviously be better as the season progresses as she finds her comfort in these matches. Now she did create nine break chances for herself, only converted three of them, but she was in a lot of Sakari's games. And again, it's a lopsided second set, seven five six two. But in terms of total points, it was a fifty five forty five sort of affair, seventy three to fifty nine. Goff was right there on a bunch of different occasions, and I think if you're a Coco Goff fan, you actually probably still feel pretty good about where. Goff is. I mean, how could you not? She's 16 years old and in the top 50. So obviously, you you should feel really, really good. But you should also feel good about her progression. She's 12 and 8 in her last 52 weeks. I'm going to read the names she's lost to. Uh, she's lost to Kennan. Brady, Sakari twice, Sabalenka, Muguruza, uh, and then Trevisan at the French Open. Trevisan went on to the quarterfinals. And then the only one you're probably a little upset with, she loses to Sevastova, the 31 seed in three sets, first round of the U.S. Open. Those are all top 20 top 15 players in the world over these past six months of play, over these past eight, you know, 15 months of play, wherever we're at, 13 months, I suppose. None of those losses are inexcusable, right? And it's, again, it's the low-hanging fruit for her. The first serve percentage will continue to improve. The second serve win percentage will continue to improve as she can be more aggressive with it, given she's making more first serves, getting out to 30 love or 30 15 leads, and then, you know, she just continues to... Be, show such good return uh, capabilities. I mean, she puts so many returns in the court. She's always over that 50% mark in terms of her second serve return point. She was again in this match against Sakari, despite ultimately coming up a little bit short. Or excuse me, she was... No, she was. Uh, no, she was a little bit under it. She was at the 47% mark. But still, I just think you have... For Coco Goff, yeah, the forehand is still the side that gets targeted, particularly with Sakari. That was the ball, uh, the side she was serving to, but she's just so athletic. She moves so well, and against 99% of players, that's going to put her in a position to succeed a lot of times, and she was in a position to succeed against Sakari. Sakari just a little more pop from around different you know, d- defensive positions uh, around the court. Ultimately, that's why she advances here, but you know, no concern for Coco Goff heading into the Australian Open. She's 12-8 and eight in her last 52. I think we have a lot to be excited about. Obviously, for Maria Sakari, I think this is a year she could make a jump, spend some time in the top 10 if this is the level we're going to see from her because she's got an athleticism that transcends all three surfaces. So very much looking forward to watching the rest of her season unfold. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. A player I also want to break down on today's show, someone I haven't talked about yet, at least extensively this week, Marta Kostyuk. 
the talented 19-year-old young Ukrainian, former Grand, junior Grand Slam champion, I believe she's 19, excuse me, 18, turns 19 this year in June. I mean, again, for Marta Kostyuk, for those of you who aren't familiar with her, she was someone who did reach, you know, top five junior in the world. I believe she was a career high ranking of number two, which she reached after she won the junior Australian Open in singles, also won the junior U.S. Open in doubles during that 2017 season. Of course, she's already had success in her pro career as well. She began the week uh, outside the top, or uh, right inside, I should say, the top uh, 100, I believe, right around 97, 98 in the world. And, you know, she ends up making the semifinals of this event. But more importantly, you look at what she did down the home stretch of 2020. She makes back-to-back finals at 80Ks in Macon, Georgia, and then in Tyler, Texas, to end her season, she's 29 and 11 in her last 52 mat, uh, 52 weeks of play in singles. Again, I know there's only the one, uh, the uh, two finals there to end the season. She also won a 60k at the start of 2020 in Cairo. She made she qualified uh, into the main draw in Roland Garros. She won two matches before losing in three sets to Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Open. All signs are trending upwards for Marta. Kostyuk, and you know she got uh, a six three six seven six three win here on Saturday over Suwei C, who's obviously going to throw so much variety at you. But let me just say, folks, if you haven't watched Marta Kostyuk, I promise it will take you two shots, three shots to realize. Oh yeah, I see it. I get why this this player is special. I get why she had so much success as a rising junior because the ball just absolutely explodes off of her racket. Forehand, backhand side. She swings with an aggression. It's Rublev-esque, right? Sabalenka-esque. They swing like the ball cheated with them, you know, with their spouse. They swing at the ball like they are so angry at it, like it wronged them in some sort of personal, visceral way that they just can't get over. And sometimes that leads to the ball hitting the back fence. But guess what? For an 18-year-old, that's okay because because she shows this plus power and this plus athleticism as a mover as well. Laterally, north-south, her speed is really, really impressive. Needs to introduce a little variety in her game. And, you know, someone with that much pop, Sabalenka, Rublev, their fiery personalities as as well. And Kostyuk certainly fiery at this point. She rides a little up and down mentally, certainly, and that will continue to improve as she gets more experience uh, throughout her young career. But she's special, folks. I mean, just the way she strikes the ball, her ability to go down the line, her ability to hit winners cross-court mid-rally, just the way she opens up the court and steps into it. And she's always looking to move forward as well. We don't have net points here for Abu Dhabi, but because she hits the ball so big, she's someone who has learned moving forward will be critical to her game. That's something she tries to do with frequency. And she's a pretty comfortable volleyer as well. She'll hang the occasional backhand volley where she's trying to hit that drop shot and it just stays a little higher and goes a little deeper in the court than she would like, but I just love her instinct to move forward. I think she's really good at anything above her shoulder, putting those balls away, and again, there's just this explosiveness to her ground strokes, to her serve, to her movement. That's special. That's I hate to typecast her with a fellow countrywoman, but it's it's Yastremska without all the off-court baggage, at least that's what I think thus far. It's it's a more reined-in version of Yastremska, and that there just seems to be a little bit more purpose in her shot selection, in the choices she's making on court. And again, Suwe C in this match, 70.6% serve percentage uh, on her first serve. She 
asked every question of Kostyuk. She threw slice. She threw short angle. She elevated some balls. She took some balls early. It didn't matter. Marta Kostyuk persisted. She created 14 break chances for herself. Broke serve eight times for Suwesi. Now, Kostyuk was broken six times in this match. And, you know, like any young player, she sometimes does struggle with that second ball going for too much. That's when I talk about she swings for the back fence. Sometimes it hits the back fence, and sometimes she'll, you know, the errors will rack up two, three in a row, and that's where match experience, knowing, okay, I need to rein things back a little bit this time, wait for my ball, because eventually I will have my chance to spring into one. Uh, that Those sort of things develop, but Again, give me the junior, you know, there's the old adage, and I've said this on the podcast before, two players run to bat, uh, to first base at the same speed. One has perfect form, the other has really bad form. Who do you want to coach? Well, you want the person who gets to first base at really bad form because once you teach him good form, imagine how fast he can go. That's where Marta Kostiuk is with some of her decisions on court. The instincts are there, but sometimes it's just pulling the trigger too soon or why are you slapping that ball down the line? Just go cross court two more times. You're opening up the court so well for yourself you don't need you know instead of giving yourself half an inch margin give yourself three feet of margin that's how well you hit the ball uh that's Marta Kostyuk it's win not if for her she's inside the top 100 right now but I think she could fly up those rankings as she gets more opportunities to compete against the best in the best of the world she was so impressive and as someone I have I will be circling. You will get plenty of Marta Kostyuk updates throughout the mini break podcast during the 2021 season. Uh, but those would be my two breakdowns. And again, for Kostyuk, 29 and 11 in her last 52. That's a player making the jump, folks. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, three finals during the 2020 season, two in 2019. They're all, you know, she makes a 25K final, then she makes five 60K finals, then she makes two 80K finals. That's a pretty steady linear progression, folks. I, I don't know how else to say it. So Marta to Kostyuk, one to circle during this 2021 season. I will get back. Well, I guess I can quickly just roll through the rest of the Abu Dhabi action uh, in terms of everything else we saw. Yeah, I'll just quickly uh, go through that. You know, Garbin Muguruza, just too much power for Sasnovich. One and four, she advanced to the round of 16. I mentioned this yesterday. Muguruza looks really good to start her season, as does Alina Svitolina. She looks fit. She looks focused. She's making some outstanding choices on court. She can alternate between power player and counterpuncher so well, and she doesn't have that top flight power of a Sabalenka, of an Osaka, uh, but she can do a lot of things really well. So really like the start to her season. Good win for her. Four and one over Savonareva. Savonareva just didn't have the weapons hurts Fidelina enough in that match. You know who does have weapons? Ekaterina Alexandrova. I don't know about a non-hard court, but on a hard court, she can ball, folks. She can absolutely ball. I'm going to pencil her into my third round right now of the Australian Open. I don't care who the opponents are. I do care who the opponents are, but I, I think at a minimum, assuming it's not a you know a dangerous floater like a Kostyuk, I, I think she's going to beat a lot of people. And she you know played a really good match against uh, Heather Watson here to advance in three sets. Uh, ditto, by the way, for Elena Rabakina. Everything I said about Alexandrova, we talked about Rabakina yesterday. She does have the Sabalenka Osaka tier of power. Now, she's not as fluid of an athlete in terms of her movement around the court as those other players, but she's going to win a lot of hardcore matches during the course of her career, and she's so young right now as well, and movement's always the thing you can get better at, and so 
to see her advance four and four. We'll talk about her more in a later mini break podcast uh, in two or three, uh, you know, in an episode or two from now, I should say, uh, when she plays Sabalenka. But really good victory for her. And then the last one that I just want to talk about quickly: Gasanova two and four over uh, Karolina Pliskova. I, we talked about this in the deciding point, which you can go find on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You can find on our Great Shot podcast feed in podcast form. Gasanova just played lights out in this match. Everything she touched was a slap winner. And just, like, sometimes that happens. And that seems to happen to Karolina Pliskova more frequently than others. That obviously has to do with her movement skills not being as, we'll say, well-developed as some other players on tour. But I actually thought Karolina Pliskova played really well in this match. I thought... You know, she just Gasanova kept hitting winners. I mean, to a certain point, it's like, what do you do for Pliskova in this match? She makes 66% of her first serve, wins 63% of those points, creates six break chances compared to Gasanova, who only had nine break chances. But, I mean, Gasanova made 78% of her first serves, won 67% of both her first and second serve points. I'm telling you, folks. Every plus one ball was a winner down the line. If you want to criticize Pliskova's returns, fine. You can. If you want to say she needs to move better, fine. You can. But I'm telling you, folks, this was just to get a day Gasanova had it. And I know it's easy to hit the panic button on Pliskova. I actually thought she looked fine in Abu Dhabi. And so I, I reserve the right to see her more in the warm-ups in Australia. But I actually still feel pretty good about her heading into 2021. Uh, that that was all the action, though, in Abu Dhabi on Saturday. Again. We're going to talk more about it over the course of the next few mini-break episodes we do. Let's switch gears now and talk about the men. And there is one breakdown I want to do on this podcast, and that, of course, is an All-American matchup, which always gets our attention here at Cracked Rackets. Uh, And it's between two young Americans as well as Sebastian Corda reaches the quarterfinal of an ATP 250 event for the first time in his career as he knocks off number five-seeded Tommy Paul 4-6-6-3-6-2 now. Now, let's start with the Sebastian Corda element of this, folks. For Sebastian Corda, for those of you who don't know, obviously, son of Peter Corda, former Grand Slam champion, his sisters, I think professional golfers who are just studs. Uh, He himself, a stud, junior 2018 Australian Open boys singles champion, a guy who won his first uh, challenger-level title at the end of last season uh, on the indoor hard courts in Germany, a guy who obviously made the fourth round of the French Open in 20. 20 and you know it was so special to see him obviously get the chance to match up against Rafael Nadal what not quite ready for that level of play but you know a guy who when healthy and he wasn't healthy for a lot of 2019 and the early parts of 2020 but when healthy uh, has been really really good you know finals of a challenger in Nur Sultan in July of 2019 another follow a ch- challenger final to end the season in Champagne in 2019 he's just been steady progression for him over these last 52 weeks and his record reflects that 26 and 9 folks and he's done that primarily in challenger and ATP matches right there's no random 25 5K or 50K here or there to boost that win-loss record, folks. He's been doing this at the highest level, and I mean, you look at the win streak he is on right now through this Delray Beach run he's made, and spoiler alert, he makes the finals, folks. He has now won his last nine matches, and you know, he's been really good with his first serve, making about 62% of those points, but winning about 70% of his first serve points, maybe even a little bit above that. He's been over 50% on the second serve 
serve points as well, and that was the case in this match against Tommy Paul Corda. 62% uh, win percentage on his first serve and second serve made 67% of his first serve points, uh, of his first serves in general, excuse me. When you're making the first serve that much, things become easier for you. It allows you to save 9 of the 11 break points you face. And by the way, Tommy Paul creates 11 break chances. Corda, only 6 break chances, but he converts 5 of them. And that's because when he gets a clean look at a second serve, he can play such aggressive tennis. He really does have, I've said this before, but it's very Tomas Burdich-esque. But he's also got a little Zverev fluidity in him as well. And I'm not saying he's quite on the Zverev tier, but... That backhand is awfully special for Sebastian Corda. It's compact. He drives it through the court. He can go cross-court with it. He can go down the line. He can create angle with it when needed on the passing shot cross-court. He can go while on the run down the line cross-passing uh, shots. His forehand, obviously, is absolutely a weapon. Again, it's a modern-day Burdich. Very, very fluid. He just had the bigger weapons compared to Tommy Paul, who, by the way, has been really, really good in his first full season of ATP events and that was really what he's done uh, during the last 52 weeks of play. I think it's been all ATP events. I don't think he played a single challenger since the start of the 2020 season. He's 22 and 15. I mean, when you're winning over 500 uh, or over 50%, if you're over 500 with your win percentage in ATP matches, you're going to stick in the ATP top 60. You're going to get to the opportunity to play more ATP events and continue to progress. And You've got to feel pretty good if you're Tommy Paul. 52 right now in the rankings entering this season in position to make another leap. Might have to play the occasional qualifying at a Masters event. But outside of that, you're going to get into whatever you want to play. And I think, you know, for Tommy, the issue is... He's so athletically gifted, right? The things he can do on the run when he wants his ability to turn into his backhand as well down the line, forehand down the line, his skills at the net, his feel around the net, his kick serve out wide on the ad side, the way that ball just explodes when it hits the court. Uh, But the problem is there's also, you know, Tommy's a guy, and I, I don't know how to drive stick. Let's just say if first gear is the gear you go fastest, Tommy's a guy who's plenty fine playing third gear throughout a course of the match just going steadily throughout it and you know only hitting hard when he needs to he has a flair for the drama as well so wants to show off his athleticism on the run wants to make that cross-court drop shot volley that's probably slightly more difficult than just hitting to the open court but you know you can't do that against a guy who's playing as, as confidently and who's just relentlessly aggressive like Sebastian Corda from the baseline and I think when Tommy was able to get Corda pushed further behind the baseline like he was in his first set Paul played a really aggressive first set was just attacking with his first serve and you look at the numbers in the match for Tommy Paul the, the service numbers went down uh, throughout the course of the match if you can get Corda on his back foot, he's just a fine mover right now, and he's fluid. Like he's not as stiff as Tomas Burdich, as I mentioned. I do think there's a more, uh, a more, uh, you know, a horizontal fluidity to him that didn't exist for Burdich, but. His first step isn't elite yet. His first step is fine, right? It's not Taylor Fritz, but it's not Tommy Paul either. And so when you're able to get him stretched, he's not phenomenal. He's still really good. He's still top 50 good. But, you know, Tommy Paul can attack that sort of player. But the problem is for Tommy, sometimes he'll shank the forehand because of his backswing. And that ball will sit up in the Corda strike zone. Or his backhand will hang a little bit short. And just Sebastian Corda was on top of those balls. And that, again, is a testament to Corda's 
his baseline skills, how aggressive he can be. He's not the most comfortable volleyer yet, but he knows when to move forward. And again, I think his serve and athleticism is going to continue to get better and better. I'm all in on the Corda bandwagon. Again, I, I for Marta Kostyuk, for Sebastian Corda, add them to the list. Uh, the many players, potential rising stars in the men's and women's game. By the way, you know, Tommy Paul, Coco Goff, some of the losers we've talked about today, they belong on those lists as well. I think they're both going to have really nice careers. But Corda and Kostyuk, I'm not ready to say Corda could be special, special because there are so many young, talented men's players right now. And I don't think, you know, it, it doesn't strike me the way Zverev or even Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Sinner does, but it's a tier below, like I feel. I mean, I probably still feel a little bit better about Shapovalov because they're similar age, and I've just seen it from Shapovalov already, but I feel really good about Sebastian Korda. I think he's going to be a top 50 player for a long time. I think he's a guy who could flirt with the top 10 at some point during his career. Of course, you look at the other results on the day in Delray Beach, nothing too crazy in terms of the upsets, and I know Korda over Tommy Paul is technically an upset, but again, Sebastian Korda has been so so good of late. You know, Isner, four and six over Montiera, Majer. I guess that's, an, I guess there were two upsets actually. Jean-Luca Majer, six and one victory over Sam Query. Majer was just slapping forehands and backhand winners, and Query just really could not find his rhythm in this match. I should have mentioned Christian Harrison, who looked really, really good against Christian Guerin, and I want to break down Harrison more, I guess, on a later podcast you'll hear today, but, you know, I think for Harrison, it's just how healthy he looks. I mean, he is a Harrison, and we know this about Ryan, you know, that no one can ever accuse the Harrisons of lacking in athleticism or strength, and Christian Harrison has all of those things move so fluidly and so quickly around the court. You know, he's got a powerful first step, but he's fluid as well. That's everything you want in your modern-day athlete. The ball explodes off of his rack in terms of the spin he's able to produce. Now, the forehand's a little funky, but when he connects properly, the angle, the pace, the depth, the spin he produces, it's a really nice shot. It turns into his backhand comfortably. Well, it looks a lot like his brother's game, uh, which makes sense because they had the same coach in their father. But the story of this match is just the struggle for Christian Guerin on hard courts. And he since pulled out of the Australian Open with an injury he suffered later in the week. I think he fell and hurt his hand. But, I mean, just... He struggles to get to hit through these courts. You know, he's a guy who wants to hit the big kick serve, the big forehands that move you around the court. You can't always do that on a hard court. But, you know, watching Christian Guerin, the eye test suggests a guy who has the pace, the sort of depth on his ground strokes to still be fine on a hard court. And, you know, he's a fine, competent returner. He's comfortable moving forward. He's a fine mover. But, you know, 11 of 27 on second serve points in this match, that was the difference between the two players. And, you know, again, he just Christian Harrison was able to save four of the six break points he faced. He created 11 chances for himself, broke Garen four times. That was enough. And, you know, Garen didn't play outstanding tennis, but Chris, he just didn't have any answers to solve Christian Harrison. He couldn't really hurt him. The forehand wasn't as effective as you'd think it would be for Garen at this point in his career. So I suppose that was a surprising result, and his struggles on hard court continue uh, at, you know, at the start of this season. And it's unfortunate we're not going to get to see him in Australia, but certainly in terms of an on-the-court result, not talking about any of the off-the-court stuff, uh, hard to be anything, but it's so, so happy for Christian Harrison. Eight injuries to overcome that, make an 18 
ATP uh, semifinal like he did this week, and we'll talk about him more later again. Uh, Great start to his 2021 season, and just, again, the floor. He's a really, really, you know, a really, really good athlete, so nice to see the tennis catching up to that athleticism as well. Those were the results in Delray and Antalya. You know, not much to add. Uh, we can't watch these events. Travaglia beat my boy Emil Rusevori 6-3. and three. That's a little disappointing. Basilishvili, another win for him over Chelik Belik, 6-4. and four. Demon Hour, Gofen, both advancing in straight sets as well. So pretty straightforward set of results there. Of course, we'll talk about that more a little bit later as well. But that'll do it for our recap of Saturday's action from Abu Dhabi, Antalya, and Delray. Again, we will be back later today to recap Sunday's action and then on tomorrow. Tomorrow's mini break podcast is going to be one episode where we recap the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals of all of these events. Probably will be changeover chat fashion, but I will try and drag someone else on as well uh, so we can hear some different thoughts here on this podcast and, of course, all of the off-court storylines. Again, we've got some guests planned up for the future. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy those podcasts, so be on the lookout for them. If you do want to hear some other thoughts, go check out the College Tennis State of the Union I did with the greatest of all time, Zutan. Tennis blog founder Colette Lewis. You can hear that again on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can also find our college contender series. Matt, uh, Matt Koyak, Chris Halioris, and I are doing where we've broken down our top 11 men's teams heading into this uh, college tennis season. We've spoken to all of those coaches on the Cracked Interviews podcast as well. And again, if you want to hear more from these players in Abu Dhabi, you can go find our From the Presser episodes. Hear my questions. I'm asking these players in Abu Dhabi following their matches on that Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And for all of our content, just turn to the website, CrackedRackets.com. You need more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow me directly, I'm at Great Shot. Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well, of course, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, for our super producers, Flickner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks? That's the break. And we will see you all later today. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.